Greetings, my fellow mutants. I'm Carly Knight. And I'm Sabrina Monet. And welcome to Procrastination Planet. Where we should be writing, but... Alright, so today we are... I've said this for a couple of episodes, we're kind of flummy, because... Tis the season. Yes. Oh god, I had a December cold, and I finished getting over it in fucking January. And Sabrina is... Getting over a cold as well. Mm-hmm. And there's something else that's going around my workplace, and I don't want it. I've been fighting it off. It's like, it wants to come on, and then my body's just like, no, no, don't do it. And so I'm just feeling really kind of drained. Me too, yeah. So, anyway. This too shall pass. Exactly. And you know what else is draining? What? Shitty boyfriends and or husbands. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's a smooth segue, isn't it? So anyway, we are going to be talking about literary fuckboys. Yes. Some of the fuckboys are from actual literary works, and some of the literary works are literary and sarcasm quotes. Not all of our examples are from capital L literature. So Sabrina, I think, had a good one to start with. Yes. I'm actually going to start with one you didn't see coming, Mm. but you might agree with me here. Okay. Nick from Gone Girl. Oh my god, he is a fuckboy. 100%. Oh yeah, total fuckboy. And so when I was reading it, at first I felt sorry for him, mm-hmm. but as the story unravels and you see everything Amy had to deal with, with this douchebag, oh, yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, she should have waited to the day after they electrocuted him to come back from the dead. Right? Um, anyone who hasn't read Gone Girl or watched the movie... Just do it. Do it. Little bits and pieces because this is, it's still current. Um, Nick's wife goes missing and there is a strong possibility he has killed her. So he is under investigation. And during this investigation, all of his fuckboy tendencies come out into the light. And there is a strong possibility that his wife, the amazing Amy, set it up so that everything could come out into the light. Oh, yeah. And when they cast that film, I was like, who are they going to get to play these roles? Who was a bigger fucking douchebag than Ben Affleck? Right? <laughs> that, was, that was perfect casting right there. That was. Like, his face alone He is... has that punchable, trust fund kid douchebag face. Yes! What is it? Every time I see Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. I want to punch him in the face. Right? I don't know why. <laughs> He's probably... There are probably Some really... Some guys have that frat... That frat bro look about them. Yes. And I hate that look. There's something about that dude bro, frat bro kind of appearance. Do you know who else has that face? Hmm. Tom Brady. Yes. Ew, he's so gross. He's so gross. And here's the thing. The reason why I think he doesn't have that many commercials out there is because he just has punchable douchebag face. (laughs) Like he can't sell anything. I'm like, you have one of the hottest- Just keep making your stupid dutch- just keep making your stupid touchdowns or what the fuck ever. Whatever I don't follow the, football. Just go Super Bowl and get another ring. Beautiful wife, <laughs> mm-hmm. kids, the house, everything. But the minute he opens up his mouth mm-hmm. and he's just your stereotypical douchebag from high school. Yeah. You punch, punch, punch in the face. But that was my first Nick from um, Gone Girl. Okay. I don't know how I'm going to talk Nick from Gone Girl, <laughs> but I'm going to go way back into ancient Greece 
Wow. And go with the OG fuckboy Jason of Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, wow. The origin story of the fuckboy, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Or origin character. I don't think it's an origin story. But anyway, so Jason of Jason in the Argonauts was, um, this is some ancient Greek shit. There was also a really cheesy movie made in the 60s with all the monsters being in that stop motion. Ah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so awful. You have to see it. You have to see it. Anyway, so Jason has his throne. It's usurped by, um, by what's his name? Pelias. And he's telling Jason, hey, if you go get me this golden fleece from off in Colchis, I'm going to give you your kingdom back. You can totally have your birthright back. So he goes off to Colchis, which is kind of in Asia Minor. Okay, so this is a fleece that you can keep shaving off for the gold. Nice. And then it keeps regenerating. So you have this perpetual supply of gold. I don't think the Greeks dealt with the concept of inflation or anything like that. So anyway, I'm not going to be a killjoy. So anyway, he goes to Colchis and he's like, okay, go get this golden fleece. And then Medea, her father is the king of this land. And she sets eyes on Jason. And it's her father, the king, who has the golden fleece. But she sets eyes on Jason and she's like, ooh, I want that hot piece. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to help you get this fleece. And so she helps him go through all these obstacles that he has to go through. And so he, he gets the fleece. And she takes off with him. They run off to escape because the dad's like, oh my God, you got the golden fleece. Okay, we're going to have to get this motherfucker. And so she takes off with him. And in the legend, she kills her brother and chops him up into a lot of little bitty pieces and throws those pieces into the Mediterranean. Because with a lot of cultures back then, in order to bury the dead, you had to have the bodies completely intact so so that they can cross over completely into the next life yeah so when she did that she slowed down her pursuers so depending on the version that you read one of the earlier versions has her brother as this young man he's a navy captain a fighter dude and jason sees him as a threat and she's like he's like okay he's gonna he's gonna kill us he's gonna hurt us and it's his idea to do away with him and medea's like oh i can do away with him and slow down our pursuers. So, you know, chop, 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 boom, 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 into the sea. It's going to take a while to find a bunch of pieces. And so in later versions, though, when the Western canon was starting to solidify, they were minimizing a lot of a lot of female deities or they were demonizing them all together. And so Medea's brother was aged down into an infant. Oh, wow. And she kills the baby brother and chops him up to pieces because she got digmatized by Jason and... Women are evil. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll do anything for the D. So. That's where that started. Pretty much. Even kill our baby brother and chop him into little pieces. So anyway, that happens. And then he's like, hey, my. Okay. They settle in um, Corinth. Mm -hmm. And this is in in Greece. And he's like, okay, my father's ailing, you know, because he's old and all that shit. And she's like, hey, I can make him young again. So she she uses her magic. She's a magical woman. And she restores youth to his dad. And then he's like, oh, by the way, my birthright got usurped by Polias. And this is really shitty and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, I totally love you, Jason. I'll totally help you out with this. I'll totally do this. And so she takes off for his old homeland. And she tricks his daughters into killing off their dad. So anyway, she flies back and she discovers that Jason married this other bitch behind. behind yeah, behind her back. Okay, because basically, um, in Greece, they're very, 
they're very provincial. They're very um, nationalistic. Okay. And anyone who's not considered Greek is considered a barbarian. Yeah. And so Medea right. is considered a barbarian because she's East Asian and she had some kids with Jason and baby mama drama. Yeah. And then Jason is like, oh, I can achieve more status if I marry this Corinthian princess. Asshole. Mm hmm. So that happens. He's basically a striper. He's only with Medea because she could get him the Golden Fleece. And now he's with... Well, her name changes with every with every version of the legend. So I just call her that bitch. That so bitch, he, yeah. So he gets with that bitch. So Medea gets her revenge by poisoning the, um, poisoning the princess and the king of that particular land. And then slaughters the sons. Cause, and lets Jason live because it's like, hey... I killed your sons, and now you get to live with the grief. And you get—you don't get to pass down your legacy. You're welcome. Wow. Greek tragedy. Oh, yeah. And how. Oh. I always thought of Medea as a sympathetic character. I mean, she's not... I don't think she's a complete innocent. Cause, oh, my God. She totally reminds me of Betty Broderick if you're into your true crime. Oh. Oh, my God. So she's like this 1950s housewife type. Who, okay. She worked to put her husband through med school and law school. Oh. And then... He finally gets rid of her and trades her in for a younger model. And then, um, but oh my gosh, she turns out to be like fucking horrible on her own accord because she's like the spendaholic and she's completely capable of having her own business because she's a great interior decorator and a manager. And she oh, would, nice. she would have excelled having her own business and everything. But if she's not one for the crazy. <laughs> but she's one of those who just kind of put everything into being the wife. And then she would leave these obscene messages on their answering machine. Like, oh, this is for the asshole and the cunt and that kind of thing. And it was kind of like in Serial Mom. Is this a cocksucker residence? (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) It was that kind of shit. Betty Broderick would totally be a John Waters character. Yeah. And that was the first thing I was reading because we're doing, we're reading the Medea tragedies for Shakespeare class. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, this is Betty Broderick up in here. And she tried to run run her, um, oh, I forgot what kind of car it was. It was like an early 80s SUV type thing. But she tried to ram it into the house. Like a Granada or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was doing that shit too. And so it was like, um, so the tragedy of Jason and Medea was kind of like the um, tragedy of um, Betty Broderick and her shit, and her shit heel fuckboy husband. Yeah. It was a case where, they're both assholes, but also I think the husband was even more of a fuckboy. Yeah. But anyway, Be- Betty Broderick, she um, she shoots the husband and the new wife in their bed. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. She got that angry. Mm-hmm, she got that angry. And she was always really sh- kind of shitty to the kids, talking about how horrible their father was and all that kind of thing. And so it was like, the kids had a... It's like, no matter how... No matter how shitty your divorce is how shitty your relationship is don't bring it to the kids because maybe the kids have a decent relationship with the dad and it will always backfire on you yeah if you're talking shit about the other parent it just makes you look like a horrible parent exactly the thing with me and the whole um killing Uh like i always talk about revenge and stuff like that oh yeah but if he leaves me for another woman Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to kill her because I'm not going to make a murder out of trash. I'm just going <laughs> to let him live with her for the rest of his life. Yeah, let her be the one to watch his chonies. Exactly. That's how I see it. 
Um, I'm actually going to fast forward us into the year 5000 with my next fuckboy. Okay. And I have The Will from Saga. The Will. That's his name, The Will. Okay, that's a fuckboy name already. Exactly. Do you know what? What? Ben Affleck could play this guy. Oh, no. If they ever made it into a film. Okay. So it is a graphic novel. It's sort of like Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. Oh. You have this, a man and a wife, a man and a woman fall in love. They're from opposite armies. Mm-hmm. I, I guess if you're in the military and you, and you pull something like that, there's it's a rule you break. And then afterwards they can kill you for this. You get court-martialed for, for doing this. Okay. But they're different in the case that they both come from different planets. Mm-hmm. So it's really bad. Then they have a kid together. Mm-hmm. When they have the kid, the government decides they need to be eliminated because for political reasons... They cannot end up on the media. They can't tell people what they did. It's this huge cover-up type of thing. So the top hitmen in the world are sent after them because both the mother and the father are special ops in their own right. Mm -hmm. The Will is the second best hitman in the galaxy. Number one being his girlfriend. He doesn't realize she's gotten the take on this whole endeavor and she goes after them. Mm-hmm. before the wheel has a chance to leave. So she's on the planet that our cast and crew are on before he arrives. Okay. She actually gives him a, a mayday call. Babe, I actually need your help. There's some bad shit going on here. I don't think I can handle it on my own. And at first he thinks that she's like messing with him to get him there so they can talk about their past and everything like that. While on the phone with him, she's killed. And the phone is picked up by the person who killed her. Okay. And that person's like, who is this? Who is she talking to? And Will gives that sort of Liam Neeson speech. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are, but I'm going to track you down and I'm going to kill you. You can learn from these situations better yourself. He gets hooked on a hallucinogenic drug that allows him to believe she's still alive and he has conversations with her. Space acid. Yes. And the Will, he means to do the good, the right thing, but he never really does the right thing. Mm -hmm. Imagine the end of Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Where Red gets to the beach and some guy shows up and accidentally shoots Red. Oh, no. And after shooting Red goes, oh, shit, wrong guy. That's the will. That's the will. Oh. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff he throws out there into the universe. Okay, so he's a loser. (laughs) Yeah. So now how how is he a fuckboy? Does he lie and play head games with her or is he like... What kind of shitty boyfriend behavior does I, he do? He's just a sh- shitty guy in general. Okay. He, he does the right thing when he puts his mind to it, but he's so wrapped up in his own anger and his own uh, mourning that he doesn't realize what's happening around him. Okay. And people get hurt because of it. Mm, he sounds nice. I know. So, yeah, I needed to throw a comic book character into into f-boy status there we go so we had a present a past and a future fuck boy nice all right we hit a trifecta right there <laughs> who is next on your list okay i'm gonna go semi-contemporary okay and this would be from probably from the early aughts okay okay so this book is called the big love ah not to be confused with sister wives yeah it's not a sister wives story it's not related to that particular series okay but um it's a book i picked up because the main character was struggling with her with her very evangelical upbringing and trying to reconcile that with how it led to the life she lives today yeah 
And I wanted to read that to make sure I wasn't inadvertently plagiarizing a book that I was writing. That was oh. the one that, um, where the backstory became um, Confessions of a Failed Preacher's Daughter. Ah. Sometimes if I see something with a similar, a similar premise, I, I read it just to make sure um, I'm not hitting those same kind of, those same kind of, um, what you call it, the beats or whatever or I'm not inadvertently plagiarizing. It's like, part of me is afraid to read those kind of books because I don't want to be influenced, but another part of me, I want to read it just to kind of as a preventative step. Yeah, and you realized you weren't plagiarizing. Yeah, I wasn't plagiarizing. So the guys in it, I think, were colossal fuckboys. And the guy she starts off with, her longtime boyfriend. The premise is he, um, they're having a dinner party and he leaves to go to the store and get some mustard. And he never returns. What? Yeah, he does not return. He just up and ghosts. And so she's trying to pick up the pieces and it kind of occurs to her that that she maybe feels kind of stunted because of her upbringing. And she rebounds with, was it a coworker that she rebounded with? Anyway, they hook up and they're having their pillow talk. And then he's like, oh, um, how many guys, how many partners have you had? Okay, by the way, never ask somebody their number. You're never going to like the answer. Either A, the number's going to be too small and you're going to be like, okay, you're obviously not very experienced. Or B, you're lying because you know how to do that thing. You couldn't do that thing if you only had two partners or something like that. Or B, you're going to think the number is too high and be like, oh my God, you're such a slut. Oh my God, you gave me AIDS. You don't really need to know somebody's number. Two people? Who the fuck are they? Call them right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, all you really need to know is your disease status, your STD status. You know, get tested so you're not passing anything on. You know, you don't you don't want to give someone the gift that keeps on giving. You don't want to do that. Okay, so she confesses that she's only been with two partners previous to him. And he's like, oh, well, you need to have at least nine partners before you settle down and blah, blah, blah. And... Arbitrary number, okay. I know. I feel, yeah, nine, that's a nice round number. And I just thought that was really weird because... Usually women get slut shamed, Mm. but also I think in our culture too, we also have a tendency to get virgin shamed because guys get virgin shamed a lot. It's like they get shamed for not having enough partners, but women, we get shamed for having too many partners, but then we're also shamed for not having had enough experience. The Madonna whore. Yeah. And it's like, I heard somewhere that the perfect number of partners to have is three is if someone asks your number. But then if you tell somebody you've only been with three other guys, I mean, this is a heteronormative hypothetical here, just FYI. But if you tell them you've been with only three guys, then they're like, oh, very convenient. You're lying. That kind of thing. So don't ever ask somebody's number because you're not going to like the answer. But I thought he was kind of a kind of a fuck boy for shaming her for her lack of experience. It's like she already she already has issues from that. It's like you don't need to compound that. What was her number by the way? It was she was only with two guys and then him. So she her her number was three. It's a perfectly valid number. Exactly. Well he was like oh he was number three. Oh okay. And so it's like you should have been at least with nine. I thought that was very much a fuckboy move on his part. Total. And then they end up together by the end. Ugh, Ugh no Go fuck your nine dudes and forget that guy. Yeah. Next. Sorry, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm. That's okay. Don't work. Don't look at my notes. No, I'm not looking at your notes. I'm thinking about that guy who was like, okay. you should be with at least nine guys. Cause yeah. I know people who would choke you if you so much as kiss another guy on the cheek before meeting them. Upper middle class white people, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I'm. Yeah, so I'm not sure what that was about, but yeah, that uh, kind of 
that kind of sets her off on her whole, oh god, I was raised evangelical, and that maybe stunted me sexually, and what's wrong with me, and that kind of thing, so. Very cool. Yeah. So. I like that you found out you weren't plagiarizing for Veronica. Yeah, because I was very relieved about that. The ginger in Veronica is nowhere near a douchebag like this. No, big love guy sounds he is like. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. <sighs> okay, so we went past. Okay, we went present. We went past. We went future. We went present-ish. So who's next on your list? I'm gonna put Lion Burke from Valley of the Dolls. Oh, old school trash. Oh, yeah. And I see, love old school trash. You're the expert on Valley of the Dolls. Well, semi-expert. It's been a while. I'm going to give this one a go. The way that I see Valley of the Dolls is I see this girl who wants to live in New York City and just and make it in the business. Mm-hmm. And she meets this guy who, who fits the perfect picture of what perfection is. Um, she goes through some trials and tribulations. He was a suspiciously tan British guy. Were there tanning booths in the 70s? Um, this was the 60s. 60s. I'm not sure if they, I know they had sun lamps for the face. Okay. They just, they just went out and baked in the sun. Oh, I forgot. It was baby oil and iodine. And my mom told me she would slather herself in Crisco cooking oil. That is so frightening. I forgot you guys used to go sit outside in the sun. They would bake back then. Oh my. And they didn't get sick. Like today you're out there for 10 minutes and. No, they would, they would still get cancer. Okay. Yeah. They would just look good if they, okay. Yeah, they. that shit will cause you some skin cancer anyway. It caused you skin cancer back then, too. <sighs> Let's. We are not advocating sun tanning. No. No. The sun is evil. Exactly. <laughs> but this Lion Burke character cheated on her with her friend, just basically slagged everything he could. And what I don't like is that she was... She pretty much gave up everything to be with him to fit this cookie-cutter image of Happily Ever After. And then in the end, she's sitting there hearing him in the hallway of her own home making plans with another girl as she's downing another coilude. Wasn't he making plans with Neely? Was that the one in the hallway? I I seem to remember that. I'm going to... Oh my god, we're going to have to take an episode okay. to dissect Valley of the Dolls. Gotcha. We're going to have to do that. That's going to be wonderful. A dissection of Valley of the Dolls. I think it's, it's, it's very needed. Oh yeah. But in the movie, she escapes the Valley of the Dolls, never... Never takes so much as half a pill and then ends up back in New England or something like that, which is totally unrealistic. <laughs> but by the end of the book, she falls into that valley. She falls into the Valley of the Dolls. Um, the beautiful one who rather die than have the cancer removed from her from her chest. Uh, Jennifer North. Who, it, who did Sharon Tate play? Jennifer North. The pretty one. Okay. Yeah. I related to Jennifer the most. <laughs> Please, there's Neely, there's Jennifer. I O'Hara. There's Neely, there's Jennifer, and then there's the, the one that gets screwed over by Lion Burke is... Oh, Anne. Anne, okay. Anne, what's her name? I don't give a Anne fuck. Plain in New York City. That's yeah. that's what happened. And the shampoo girl. And the shampoo girl who... Shampoo girl. If I'm doped up on antihistamines, then I'm stumbling down the mean streets of my town going, Neely O'Hara! But she... I'm Neely O'Hara! Okay, I can't go full throttle with that because I don't want to blow out the mic. Yeah. But watch the movie. Holy shit, you have to. It's flawless. Do it. She actually makes it, though, right? She makes it in her career. Oh, yeah. And yeah. She makes it, but also she kind of has that Judy Garland, 
in rehab, out of rehab, in rehab, out of rehab. She's falling down the valley, too. But career-wise, she's doing all right. She's doing all right, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I think Lion is the one who kind of helps her with her comeback and everything, and then they start to have the affair. And He's still a douchebag. He is a douchebag. So, yeah, Lion Burke from Valley of the Dolls is an F-boy to me. Yeah. Oh, total F-boy. Okay, so um, we're going back to the past, even further than the 60s. We're going straight Shakespearean with Claudio in Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you saw the Keanu Reeves version of the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Keanu Reeves as John the Bastard. He puts the bastard in John the Bastard. Wasn't John the Bastard a biblical figure, too? That's John the Baptist. I think they had that as the name and then renamed it for political reasons later. But, okay. Sabrina at procrastinationplanet.com. Much ado about nothing. (laughs) Oh, by the way, um, in Shakespearean slang, something that was slang for the dick, and then nothing was slang for the vagina. Whoa! It was about the cat. Yeah, the woman's parts were considered the nothing, which is at least call it the C word. The yeah. C word is something, you know? But nothing. <laughs> but calling it nothing. So anyway, Claudio is this young soldier and he's going to marry Hero and she's and she's this young maiden and for some reason John the Bastard wants to disrupt all the happiness cuz reasons. And so he grabs one of her maids, right? And I guess she kind of looks like Hero from the back or some shit, I don't know. And he grabs one of his henchmen and they orchestrate this thing so that they're banging in this open window. Oh. Yeah. And then he fixes it so that Claudio catches them in the act. This is before, God, what was it? The day before their wedding? The night before their wedding? Oh. Yeah. If you catch your fiance in the act, okay, either A, you do nothing, because maybe she's got a sweet dowry or something, I don't know. Or B, if you felt the need to confront them about that, wouldn't you do it in private? Like pull them aside and be like, where were you last night? Yeah. Or I saw you in the window doing X, Y, and Z. Then, you know, they could have cleared up the misunderstanding and, you know, hey, I was here. I got an alibi. I got witnesses. I got receipts. So, no. What happens is the wedding commences. They're up at the altar ready to do their vows. And then Claudio humiliates her in front of the whole entire wedding party, saying what a whore she is and how she's not worthy of being with him and all this kind of shit. So I went from dragging a virgin shamer to dragging a slut shamer here and it was slut shaming plus um, public humiliation yes that's horrible basically she had to fake her death in order to make him see the error of his ways what an asshole yeah the fuck was up with that i don't think she should have married him at the end she would have been like fuck you yeah if you're gonna marry someone who believes me exactly you know you've been coming up with some great fuckboy examples today Thank you. You did your homework. I did do my homework. So who's next on your list? I hate both of them. Who cares? Okay. Edward from Twilight. Oh, yes. Okay, we're putting sarcasm quotes around literature here. Okay, so Edward from Twilight. I have actually not read Twilight, but I know a lot of people who have. I read it while standing in line at Costco eating a Polish dog. I mean, that's how easy it was to read through that. Hey. That novel. Um, then it got, then it blew up and became a film, obviously. Okay. What I took away from that is you have this guy who's 135 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's telling this 16-year-old girl who's smitten with him 
this can't happen. We can't be together. Um, just forget about me. And then ghosts her. Hey, when someone tells you who the fuck they are, believe them. You know, that is true. When someone mm-hmm. tells you who they are, believe yeah. them. What I didn't like about it, don't tell her you're an immortal with unlimited resources and you own property that can end up in architectural digest. Oh God, because then you're saying, look at what you, look what you can't have. Exactly. So th- I didn't get the argument. I live in amazing houses all over the world. I'm a millionaire 50 lifetimes over. I can I'm, buy your way out of your problems. I can, Yes, exactly. I'm totally not a catch. And I'm immortal, but you can't be with me because everyone should experience life as a human without shit before ever. I don't know. He actually never had an end game. There was, there was no, okay, well, you- I would have been you, fine with being turned into a vampire at 16. Exactly. Me too. <laughs> Let's travel the world for the next 200 years. And if I don't like you, I'm going to leave. You're going to give me a little severance package, huge severance package. And then I'm going to bounce. Okay, so does turning immortal, would that have cured my acne? Probably. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I, okay, we were talking about interview with the vampire in a previous episode. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. yes. Yes, because of your Lestat crush. Because of my Lestat crush. So with um, Stephanie Meyer's vampires, they actually glisten in the sun. Ooh. Their skin is so perfect. Um, that highlighter game was on point. But she never, they never explained mm-hmm. why he thought that, that... Everything that he had was nothing compared to being alive. It's like, fuck being alive. I'd rather be an immortal. (laughs) I'd rather be an immortal baller and let's go travel the world. I don't want to be dead, but undead sounds pretty darn cool. Exactly. So yeah, that was my... um, Did he stalk her and shit too? You know, he did stalk her, but it it was like a cute stalking. There's no such thing as cute stalking. Stalking is stalking. He like watched her sleep. Ew. Because he loved her. Ew. You don't I, watch someone. You don't. Ew. Didn't he sneak into her house to do that shit too? Yeah, he did. It wasn't like they were having a consensual time in the bed. And then afterwards she rolls over and falls asleep because he. No, nah, he snuck her into her room and, and watched her sleep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's not cute. What's cute about that? I think it was just like, oh, you have this superhuman strength guardian angel watching over you. Or superhuman strength freak stalker. Freak stalker, yeah. They never really quite explained it. The book is kind of like a, a diary written by a high schooler mm-hmm. who who thinks of like all the unimaginable things she can do if her crush was like immortal. Uh-huh. Which I, I, I get that point. I get what they're looking at. They had some amazing real estate porn in there, though. That was... What does that say about me? That's what I gravitate towards. The places they traveled. That house on Puget Sound. My God. That was amazing. Um, That's all I pulled away from the story. And the fact that he's a fuckboy. And then that fuckboy begets Christian Grey. Okay. The, the thing with Christian Grey, the summary for Fifty Shades is, I took an ass beating for money. That's basically all oh, it is. Oh, wow. That's all it is. <laughs> basically, if he wasn't a billionaire, it would be domestic abuse. It would be domestic abuse. Oh, by the way, E.L. James plagiarized her whole... Yes, she did. She, she plagiarized all of her fellow fanfic people. One of my friends was part of that fanfic community. And she didn't thank them, didn't do shit for them. And they did everything for her. And she just... She did them dirty. So, if you ever get a copy of Fifty Shades, get it used so she doesn't get paid. Exactly. Yeah. So um, what I hate about this whole, the whole Fifty Shades thing is a lot of people were like, oh, it's sold because women want to be dominated 
women don't want to have power anymore and blah 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 and women secretly like being treated like shit or something like that i didn't see that yeah, I uh, didn't see that either. Okay, here's the thing. I know that there is a legitimate SNM community out there, mm-hmm. but when I read through the E.L. James novels, there was nothing about his character that was re- redeeming or interesting. He was just fucking rich. Yeah, that that was it. That was it. And but then- I think a lot of um, I think a lot of women gravitated toward it because it was it was a porny read that made it to the mainstream, so it was easily accessible. Because they were all reading it on their cell phones. I remember that. Yeah, it, so it, it's accessible, and it was the first time it was considered acceptable to read something like that. And what? I think, too, because, um, I mean, the majority of dominatrix clients are mm-hmm. guys who are in positions of power. And so if you're going to go with the whole women like being treated like shit and domineered and blah, 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 you'd have to go with the logic of, Men don't want to have power. They want to be domineered and taken over and blah, blah, blah. Which, no. It's, if you're a powerful person, you're making decisions all the fucking time. And so, you're going to go and have someone let you relinquish control for once. Yeah. And so, with a lot of modern day women, not only do they have to make a whole bunch of decisions on their, on the job, but even when women have, have full-time jobs and they, they're a part of a two-income household, the housework and the child rearing still is disproportionately put on them so they're making decisions all the fucking time 24 7 this is decision fatigue and so it's like the idea of being dominated by some hot rich dude and letting him make the decisions for once take care of all the bills yeah just do it for a session i get to not have to worry for a session i don't have to make it i don't have to make any decisions for a moment hey i get to relinquish control for a moment yeah. It doesn't mean that you want to have someone control every aspect of your fucking life. Exactly. So, wow, I agree that was you. a rant. <laughs> that was a great rant. It was a rant. And who do you have next on your list? Oh, speaking of, um, I went with a semi-contemporary of Twilight, and the book is called Albatross by Josie Bloss. Oh. And this was written when Twilight was written, and there was this trend towards the broody bad boy. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the broody bad boy archetype was um, actually really controlling and shitty. And the author was kind of tired of this type being pushed as... The norm. Yeah. Yeah. And she was tired of seeing these relationships pushed as being healthy and normal. And so she wrote this book to kind of deconstruct that. And the character Micah is this kind of broody, artsy kind of emo guy the the broody little fuck boy you always fall for in high school and early college oh yeah so anyway with the main character she's new in town and she meets this guy micah and he has a kind of sort of girlfriend in daisy but he keeps her at arm's length and he's like well she's not ready for this relationship we have an agreement that when she's ready then i'll be ready for her and blah. oh my gosh and it, it it's weird he's weirdly controlling of her too and then he's also weirdly controlling of tess the main mm. character okay so You've probably ran into the type who gives you just enough to keep you interested, just enough attention to keep you interested, but they don't want to actually have a relationship or anything like that with you. They don't want to let you go because they they love knowing that they have someone pining over them. Yeah. But they just, they give you just enough breadcrumbs. I think breadcrumbing is one of the... Breadcrumbing, Breadcrumbing, that's like a... Yeah, he was doing kind of the breadcrumbing thing in the modern day parlance. God, I'm I'm an old married lady, so <laughs> I'm a little bit insulated from all these terms now. But anyway, he does the breadcrumbing thing to him. He's a breadcrumber. And then when she decides she wants to go to a party with some of the new friends that she met, 
he was all putting them down. He's all like, oh, they're horrible people, and they're just going to try and make you into this horrible conformist mean girl type and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. He didn't want her having a life of her own. He basically just wanted her to sit around and do nothing but think of him, even though he wasn't going to give her enough to make this a satisfying thing. Yeah. And she, you know, she basically finds the courage to stand up to him and... And leave him. And get rid of him. But basically, that is some colossal fuckboy behavior. Exactly. It's like, I'm not going to have anything to do with you that much but i don't want you having a life of your own oh my god kind of reminds me of this guy i used to know who um he had he called for a so-called break with his girlfriend and he slept with someone pretty shortly after oh and i mean if you break up if you break up with someone you have the right to rebound if someone breaks up with you you have the right to rebound yeah even as little as five seconds after who cares you're not together anymore so yeah go bang away Anyway, he loses his shit when she finds someone else to rebound with. Sounds like kind of a Micah move, because you basically want someone to be completely devoted to you even when you fuck around on them. It's that that ego ego shit. Yeah. And by the way, if someone ever initiates a so-called break, it means they're breaking up. Yeah. There's no such thing as just a break. No, it's a total breakup. Yeah. It means either A. I never understood that when people said, oh, we're taking a timeout. No, there's no such thing as a timeout, you dumbass. You don't want to be together. You're not together. Yeah. It just means you're baby stepping the breakup. Yeah. It's like either A, you want to break up, but you want to keep that person on standby in case your next prospect doesn't work out. Or B, you want to break up, but you're trying to spare the other person's feelings. Yeah. I had a guy break up with me that way. He was calling it a break, and then he kind of intimated that it was going to be a temporary thing, but it turned out to be a permanent thing. No one leaves baby in the corner. Fuck him. That's right. <laughs> but that took me, it took me so long to get over that. Gotcha. I mean, I've had breakups where the breakup was just like, hey, it's not working out. We got to break up. And it hurt like hell at first, but it was like, it's over. I moved on so much quicker from that because it's like, it's over. I can properly grieve and move on. Yeah. But but that whole, it's just a break. It's not permanent. That kind of thing. It's like, it kind of gave me that tiny sliver of hope that he would change his mind. But that never happened. It was just like, it took me a long time to be able to properly get over that. Gotcha. So my advice to any potential teenage listeners Oh, this is teenagers? I was applying this to my life. Oh, and any grown-ass listeners, too. Fine. If you break up with someone, if you want to break up with someone, just be straight and honest about it. You don't even have to give a whole bunch of reasons. Just tell them they're a piece of shit. No, on. you don't have to say they're a piece of shit. Tell them they're a piece of shit. <laughs> it'll, it'll help them grow as a person. Oh, my God. Sabrina at ProcrastinationPlanet.com. <laughs> but, you know, just, I don't even think reasons are all that useful. You don't owe someone a, an exit interview and vice versa. It's just, hey, it, it's not working out. Because, I mean, the whole point is, it's not working out. I don't want to be with you anymore. I mean, you don't have to say, I don't want to be with you anymore. But you just say, hey, it's not working out. We should break up. It's a lot easier for the other person to move on. Yeah. Unless you're one of those shitty people who wants to keep the other person pining for you, in which case, eat rocks and choke. I wonder if I've ever been a shitty person. <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> I think we've all been shitty at some point in our lives, honestly. But we, we have to learn and we have to grow. Yeah. But I had another point I was going to make, and I think that drifted off. No, you completely made your point. I think I did. Yeah. But yeah, just a clean breakup. I mean, the exception would be is if you're in a really abusive relationship and you don't feel safe in that relationship, in which case 
it's totally fine to ghost. <laughs> yeah. You just have to do what you feel is safe for you to get out of that situation. But in a case of a relationship that isn't abusive and isn't unsafe, be straight with the other person. But anyway, that's my advice on that. Yeah. Okay, so next fuckboy on the list. Thank you, Carly. <laughs> you are welcome, Sabrina. I went through pretty much all of my fuckboys. The only one I have left is Louie from, of course, Interview with the Vampire. Ooh, We've vampire only... realness. She, she loves her vampires. <laughs> See, immortality is the only thing I can, I can deal with, but this is what I think it is. I think it's because... I, I don't know if I want to generalize generalize an entire people. Okay. But Sabrina at procrastinationplanet.com. <laughs> From my background, things never end. Okay. Things are on this cycle where you hear about them, right? I don't know what background you come from where this also happens, but let's say you have a friend who broke up with a guy five years ago. Okay. That's still that conversation is still in rotation with your group of friends five years later. You don't let it go. You just, you you talk about it, you gossip, you go through the rounds. If anything about that asshole ever comes up, it's going to be in circuit. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So the whole vampire mm -hmm. going in cycles, I totally get that. Um, and I think it's a common, I gravitate towards vampires because their stories go on for centuries, which is similar to gossip sessions that I will have with cousins and friends. It just goes on and on and on. Y'all could hold a grudge forever. I, we can hold a <laughs> grudge for Exactly. You've heard me rant about oh, yeah. some of these assholes. She still hates bitches from eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. So the thing with Louie is that he was in a bad situation. His wife died. His kids died. I think it was cholera. Don't quote me. And he's just mopey. You know he's going to kill himself sooner or later. And Lestat turns him and gives him immortality mm -hmm. and sets him up in the French quarters with him. Mm -hmm. Is he grateful? No. He pouts and he mourns and he's like, all you've done is you've turned me from a mopey bastard who's on the verge of putting a gun in my mouth to a mopey bastard who's now going to live forever. Oh, it's God. Just ungrateful little fuck. Emo vampire. Exactly. <laughs> then they turn Claudia to become a family, and he turns Claudia against Lestat, and they're both mopey together. Like, we lost our families, and it's all his fault. Oh, God. Um, and so even in today, in 2018, in the pr uh, 2019, in the present, even in the present, he's still talking shit about Lestat with other vampires. And I'm like, don't do that. If, if, if you and I are going to fight... And, and get into arguments and you're going to think I'm garbage. That's cool. <laughs> but don't go telling people we know about it and airing our dirty laundry out there, you shithead. <laughs> That's what I never liked about Louie. Okay. But it's but you know what? I'm putting myself in the in in Lestat's shoes because that's usually what happens. I'm painted as the bad guy, and when by the time the story comes back to me, I'm the villain in the story somehow. Even though all I do is go to work and come home. Well, you do have that underground layer. <laughs> that underground layer and henchman, exactly. Yeah, I've seen them. I have the receipts. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I know you don't put your henchman on the Instagram and I keep the on, Instagram. I have I, to say it like an old person. The, the uh, Instagram. Instagram. The Instagram and the Instagram. Also, shout out to all of our friends and fans. We are at 98 by the end of the weekend. We're probably going to be at 100 followers. Thank yeah. you for liking our posts and following us. And yay. I'm to so that. excited. We're building our brand. Exactly. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Oh, wait, are we going to get... De oh, we're not on YouTube. I don't have to worry about getting demonetized for 
that. I yeah. was doing my Saved by the Bell Jesse Spano freak out. <laughs> I love doing that one. It never gets old. Saved by <sighs> the Bell is a horrible show, but I will forever love the caffeine pill freak out. It is so... Do you know, I don't really remember anything about Saved by the Bell. The only thing I liked is that they had somewhere so close to school that they could sit down and order any food they wanted. Yeah, I want to say the Peach Pit, but I know that's not right because that was Beverly Hills 90210. That was the Peach Pit. It was something Uh, like that. Yeah, they had some kind of um, diner hangout place. Did you have a diner by your school? We didn't. Um, I remember the Fleur de Lis Cafe in downtown Redlands. Oh, you had a diner. We didn't have shit. It wasn't a diner. It was um, a a coffee shop. Oh. And they had poetry nights on Wednesdays. All we had is a food truck outside who served pizza. And that was our spot. I would have loved to have had a diner where we could sit down during lunch, talk right? trash, and order any food. But see, I'm a foodie, so that's what I gravitate towards. Yeah. yeah. And there was a nearby McDonald's. We'd always get kicked out of that one because we'd goof off and pour salt all over the order of fries if we were trying to fuck up someone else's fries. Oh, my goodness. I know. Anyway. <laughs> Can you eat at McDonald's still to this day? No. Way too greasy. Okay. My acid reflux is like, nope. Is it way too greasy because of the way they make it now? Or is it just a food you don't touch? Like, do you think the McDonald's in our <laughs> high school days is the same McDonald's they're serving now? I'm sure there have been some changes, but... But see, as I took us off on a rant about food, after my rant about anger <laughs> and asshole guys, what do you what do you have next for us? Oh, God, I'm getting old school again with um, Tom Buchanan in The Great Gatsby. Oh! Yeah, he was a piece of shit yeah he was <laughs> a very rich piece of shit usually your typical i think he's kind of the template of the frat bro d bro fuckboy douche type yeah <laughs> all grown up <sighs> so basically he's um he's a racist piece of shit yeah and he cheats on daisy oh. and he cheats with some bitch named myrtle and it's like okay if my husband ever cheats on me the bitch better not be named myrtle Okay, do better. Don't cheat with a Myrtle unless you really want to be spiteful. Does it have Myrtle? To- Her name is Myrtle? <laughs> that, that would be my whole thing. It's like, I wouldn't be all pissed off that he was cheating. I'd be all pissed off that you cheated with Myrtle? Oh. Am I just so trashy that you felt the need to go to a Myrtle? To a Myrtle. To feel better? The fuck is wrong with you, Myrtle? Go have fun with Myrtle. Let Myrtle clean the skid marks out of your drawers. I don't care. Exactly. <laughs> and so anyway, he still gets all pissy and possessive when he suspects Daisy and Gatsby are getting it on. Yeah. And it's like, no, you you got your side bitch. She's allowed to have a side bitch. Exactly. That's my rant there. And also he's, he's all acting like he's successful because of his superior bloodline. And it's like, no, you have generational wealth and also you're a bully and you bullied your way to the top. He inherited 80% of it, and the other 20% he made being a brute. (laughs) Yeah, a commoner. Common fucking barbarian brute. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, Tom Buchanan. (laughs) That one is a very short rant. (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. Gatsby. Yeah. Do you believe Gatsby, all, all it would take to make him happy is Daisy? Um, if if she hadn't fucked up because she couldn't drive for shit. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they could have made something with their lives? Probably or w- not. Th- there, there was nothing it's there, like when, right? When you meet someone while they're young and idealistic or you're and you're young and idealistic, you eventually grow up and you eventually the veneer goes away. Okay. And she was kind of a kind of a dizzy airheady type. I think it would have been an infatuation that 
went away. And then she went, she would go back to Buchanan anyway. Yeah. And maybe he'd go bang Myrtle himself. Yeah. I could see it. <laughs> and then Tom would get all pissy over that. You took my mistress while well, I'm Gatsby. Yeah. Fuck you, Buchanan. <sighs> all right. Hey, since you started with a Nick. Are we ending with a Nick? We're ending with a Nick. Have you read Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell? No. Oh my God. I'm going to have to lend that to you. Especially if you're into fan fiction. Yes. Yeah. It's all about fan fiction. It's wonderful. So anyway, the main character, Kath, is in college and she's obsessed with writing Simon Snow fan fiction. She's very big in her community online. Okay. And I think the Simon Snow series is kind of her, um, her own in-universe version of the Harry Potter series. It's kind of a wink and a nod ah. sort of thing. So she's writing the Simon Snow fan fiction and she gets accepted into, um, I think it was a, a junior or senior level English class at the university. The professor is very impressed with her writing, although she wants her to branch away from the whole fan fiction thing. Yeah. And she gets accepted into the program and she meets Nick and he's cute. And he's this broody writer stereotype and he's really super self-important and you know the pretentious artiste that we all fall for or maybe it's just me i don't know i'm projecting my experiences if everyone has had it no which is super presumptuous of me and so they partner up hey let's work on this story together for class and then he's like well i can i can write the story and you just do the do the fixes and so he's so he kind of sets up this writing partnership and she's basically fixing his whole thing because he's not that great a writer, but uh. she has to zhuzh it up. She's got to put in dialogue. She's got to do all the editing and the descriptions and basically you take his shitty first draft and make it into something great. Okay. And she kind of has a little crush on him and he doesn't, he doesn't seem to return the affection. It's like, I think he returned just enough to get her to, to do favors. So anyway, he turns in the paper for the final project, but takes all the credit. So basically, he took advantage of her crush to use her. What a douchebag. Yeah. And And then he dies? (laughs) No, but he has a worse fate. He never gets published. Nice. Yeah. Well, he gets busted because Kath's writing style is super distinctive. Okay. Yes. And it's like, find that he doesn't return the crush because you're not going to you're not going to be into everyone just because they're into you. Yeah. But the fact that he takes advantage of this and then plagiarizes her and tries to keep her from getting credit for all of her hard work, that's a fuckboy move right there. What a total piece of shit. Right? Can I rant about something that's recent because it has nothing to do with our podcast, but it's a similar story. Oh, go ahead. And I need your, um, I need you to dissect what, how this happened. What okay. Happened. So um, Glenn Coase is up for a nomination for The Wife. Have you heard of that? I believe I have. In the story, I'm going to totally spoil this because you know what? I doubt any of our listeners are going to watch this three-hour boring drama that I just sat through. Okay. <laughs> they don't have your intestinal fortitude. <laughs> <laughs> so she is headed to Sweden because her husband has won the Pulitzer for literature. Mm-hmm. And on the plane ride there, she's really quiet. And he tries to make her happy, like, hey, you want to, when we get there, you want to go on a tour? You know, just like vacation-y stuff. Yeah. She's like, I'm kind of tired. I just want to sit in the room. And you're wondering, what's going on here? Oh, man. And then as they go to the dinners and everything, she, they introduce him and all of his literary, he's basically been a voice for the past 40 years in American literature. Mm. And they're like, and you must be so proud to be his wife. And it like grates on her nerves. And she's like, I'm a writer too. And then we have flashbacks 
to them in Harvard. It turns out she's the writer. Oh! And she had this fear that as a woman, she would never get published. Which is probably right because mm-hmm. everyone in her writers group said, no one's ever going to hear our voice. So she came up with this plan with her husband. Mm-hmm. They would write their stories together. He would read over it. She poured over the work, but they would put his name on it to give it sort of a legitimate name. Oh my God. And he goes on to become one of the literary greats. In that a... sounds, was it based on a book? Yes. Meg, Meg Wolitzer, I think. I think you, yeah. Okay. Did that you was read sounding it? familiar. I, I had read the blurb on the back a long time ago. I meant to pick it up, but then I had another book that I had to buy and I was on a very limited budget. Okay. Sorry, Meg. Gotcha. That sounds super familiar. So then, um, long story short, she confronts him and says, F this. I don't want to do this anymore. I've been living with this lie for 40 years. And he's kind of like, honey, I'm walking on stage to accept the Pulitzer. Mm -hmm. She's like, my fucking Pulitzer. And he's like, it's ours. We, We did this together. And she's like, that's my fucking Pulitzer. (laughs) <laughs> and so things happened and I'm not going to end it for people who are going to read Meg's novel, but everyone that I tell this story to who's single mm-hmm. reacts the same way I do. They say, couldn't they have talked it out? Couldn't they have worked it out? Like she walked into it and everyone that I know who's married, it was like, yeah, that smug asshole. <laughs> yeah, that smug asshole taking credit for her work. I think it's one of those things that sounded like a good idea at first but then as as time goes on it's like oh no i'm getting erased i'm doing all the work but i'm getting erased ah uh, okay yeah. that's what the story is about yeah she doesn't have legitimacy on her own and then as she's getting older it's like god this is bullshit but when you're young and you're in love and all that kind of thing you're like yeah i'll do this for you thank you for helping me out i can get my work published even though it's your name on it and but it's like no one knows you for anything other than being the wife. Okay. That last, when you were talking, it, it had a flashback to this. And I haven't been able to talk to anyone about the okay. wife yet. So. Oh my God. That kind of reminds me of, you know, those um, Keen paintings with the big eyed paintings? Yes. Yeah. Um, there was this, um, I think they made a movie about it with Amy Adams as yes. Margaret Keen. And she was doing all the paintings. He, he had his name on it. And then during their very acrimonious divorce, he wanted to get all the money for the paintings. But it's like, no, those are my paintings, she was saying. And so the court, the judge, made them demonstrate their painting talent. Nice. And Walter conveniently had an injury, some kind of wrist or hand injury or arm injury or something. Well, I I can't do it. I had an injury and blah, blah, blah. But she just whipped out the paintbrush and boom. Yes. It was like, yeah, that's her work. Exactly. Oh. So, oh my God. Yeah. So I see it from your point of view too. At first I was just like, wait a minute, you put this arrangement together. Aren't you going to fuck up with the money by coming out with the truth now? And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's one of those things that seems like a good idea at the time. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, what the fuck did I do? I made a shitty decision. Yeah. And I was like, oh, how, how do we fix that? <laughs> so you're not giving your husband the Pulitzer. He's not walking up on that stage. <laughs> you're like, the Pulitzer for literature? Get out of here. Is, is it a cash prize? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I might just shut up and take the money. But then I wouldn't feel like I could make it on my own as a writer after that. Because then I wouldn't. Everyone would think I was plagiarizing my husband. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I joke about, hey, is the money good? No. 
that would be a case of shooting yourself in the foot. It's one of those things that you can make really stupid decisions when you're young, yeah. and then they come and bite you in the ass. I see it. Yeah. So now that we've exhausted ourselves with all these problematic men... <laughs> and then we might do an episode about badass bitches, and then all the status quo warriors would be like, oh my god, you're bashing men. Yeah, we are. Shut the fuck up. Exactly. <laughs> Goodness. Let's give them what they want. They think we're awful man bashers. Let's let's just lean into that. Lean into it. Yeah. Let's just do Wait, it. Wait, that's what that was the Sheryl Sandberg philosophy leaning in, right? Yeah. I'm leaning into that. So. <laughs> that is hilarious. There we go. I'm crap with conclusions. So am I. Okay, so thank you for listening to us drag a bunch of fuckboys by their by their shitty little neck hairs that Need to get lined up at the barbershop. Oh, you just said his fade was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to get a lineup. <laughs> he needs to get his shape up. Okay, I'm Carly Knight. And I'm Sabrina Monet. And this has been Procrastination Planet. Bye. Bye. Procrastination Planet has been written and produced by me, Carly Knight, and my partner in crime, Sabrina Monet. Our logo was designed by C. Trojan of C. Trojan Art. For more of his work, go to ctrojanart.com. Our theme music is Laser Unicorns by Christian Penn, courtesy of Gemendo Licensing. Visit us at procrastinationplanet.com. Follow us on Twitter at ProcrastPlanet. Follow us on Instagram at ProcrastinationPlanetPodcast. If you like us, Tell your friends and spread the word. If you hate us, lie and tell your friends how much you like us anyway. We could use the publicity.